past and some are up and some are down. Some people are frustrated and confused and some are um, in pain, mentally, emotionally, physically. And, and you give us these words that just focus us back to Jesus and all that he accomplished on the cross. What a, what a privilege, what a blessing to come in here and, and get our focus on the right thing or per person. And we just praise you for just an amazing uh, privilege that we have here in this country. And Lord, thank you for those that gave their lives so that we could do this. And uh, we feel so blessed to have had so many give so much for us. Thank you again, Lord. Bless us through your Holy Spirit. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Pastor Steve Cole uh, has a good way to introduce uh, this passage, so I thought I'd just uh, take his introduction and give it to you because I, I really liked it. And you can relate, I think a lot of you can relate to this too. Um, so here we go. Just about every home that has small children has a growth chart. Remember those? How many people had a growth chart in their house? Yeah, lots of, almost everybody. Um, just about every home has, that has small children has a growth chart somewhere in the house. We sometimes use the inside of a closet door jam to mark the height of our kids and the date. And you adults here probably went through that also. Um, then perhaps each year on their birthdays, we would measure them again. They were always excited to see how much they had grown. And Debbie was telling me, there is, she was telling me that some people, when they move, where they sell their house that they grew up in, they take that part of the door and they, 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 they pull it off and take it with them to their new house because it's a special kind of thing to see how they've grown or their children have grown and they don't want to part with it. Okay. And uh, if you have done that, you ought to be ashamed of yourself because that's <laughs> stealing from the next homeowner. No, I can see why people would do that. I'm going to continue. But you can imagine how shocked and concerned we would be, have been if... Instead of growing up, one of our children had grown down. We would have scheduled an immediate doctor's appointment to find out what was wrong. Growth is normal and a cause for joy. Shrinkage would have been bizarre and a cause for alarm. Many of the Hebrew Christians to whom our author wrote had grown down in their Christian walk, not up. He says that they had come to need milk again not solid food. Imagine a teenager who quit eating regular food and went back to formula and Gerber's period peace. Instead of being able to teach others, they now need someone to teach them the ABCs of the Christian life all over again. The author wants to talk to them about Jesus being a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, but he fears that it will be over their heads, and so before he plunges into that subject, he uses the strong warning that runs from chapter 5, 11 through 6, verse 20. In our text, which is really chapter 5, verses 10 through 14, in our text, he is saying, grow up, folks. Don't grow down, grow up. And that's what the writer to the book of the Hebrews is doing here today. He's saying to his readers, you know, you're in danger of going from spiritual meat eaters to spiritual spiritual milk drinkers. Don't do that. Stop that devolution of your Christian life and move forward. And I'll just say this at the top of the message and um, uh, I'll say it again too before we're done. There is no neutral gear in the Christian life. 
Did you guys know that? You can't just say, you know, I've got to take a break for now, and then I'll pick up where I left off later. You can't do that. It's impossible. There is no neutral gear in the Christian life. We're either, what, progressing or regressing. It's a sobering thought, okay? And uh, believers need to move beyond the basics of the Christian life and grow up in Christ, and that's what this passage is all about. The title of the message today is The Danger of Spiritual Immaturity. The Danger of Spiritual Immaturity. It's a real danger. It really is. And you know what? You can go from mature to immature. Aren't you glad you came here to hear the good news of the word of God today? But it's true. And it's a, and it's a healthy warning to pay attention to. And I'll give you some reasons why we do that, some of the growth blockers that could come into our life and really cut off our growth and cause us to regress in our Christian walk, but that will come a little bit later. And the title, I guess I said it already, or did I say it? The Danger of Spiritual Immaturity. So let's go to these verses here. It's at chapter five, verse 10, through the end of the chapter. Okay. Now, I have to insert Jesus' name here because that's who he's talking about. So if you go to verse 10, and I'm gonna just put it in there because this is who the author is referring to. And Jesus was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, you are slow. Uh, in fact, by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Now, I want to go through this passage the way I think it flows, and at the end, we'll kind of apply it to our own lives and, and move on. Um, first of all, under this title, The Danger of Spiritual Maturity, the writer talks about the problem of spiritual immaturity. The problem of in spiritual immaturity, as he writes to this little church in Italy, um, and, uh, and this is what he says. I'm going to just, again, read verses 10 through the beginning of 12. And Jesus was designated to, by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And we have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary uh, truths of God's word all over again. Okay, here's, here's the problem. They were not familiar with the deeper truths of Scripture. They were not familiar with the deeper truths of Scripture. And probably could throw a, a, a half-decent prayer life in there with that, too. Because anytime you talk about spiritual disciplines, uh, the word is always put together with prayer. So their, their, their life, in terms of God's word and prayer, was on a, still on a superficial level. They had a superficial knowledge or low level of understanding of the word of God. Now, how do I know that? Well, because the writer to the Hebrews refers to a guy by the name of Melchizedek. Melchizedek. And we're, I didn't give the verses to uh, the tech guys, but in Genesis 14, 18 through 20, it says this, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, 
brought out, brought out bread and wine, interesting. Oh, there's so much typology here, it's crazy, but that'll come later in chapter seven. He was priest of God most high, and he blessed Abram, saying, blessed be Abram, Abraham, by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand, and then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So um, he's talking about Melchizedek here, okay? And he says, it's hard, to, it's hard for me to talk to you about Melchizedek. And if you know anything about Judaism and people who study the Jewish faith, just Old Testament Jews, they knew about Melchizedek a lot. There's not a lot in scripture, but you say Melchizedek and the Orthodox Jews uh, ears would open because they knew about Melchizedek. It was part of Judaism. You say, well, why do you say that? Because he was coupled with Abraham. And Abraham was the patriarch of the Jews. They knew everything about Abra Abraham from A to Z. And the writer to the Hebrews going, I gotta talk to you about Melchizedek? You ought to know about this by now. This is one of the pillars of your faith. You, you ought to be educated from the word of God about Melchizedek, it shouldn't be that hard for you to, to grasp this. But they needed to go back to spiritual kindergarten because they didn't know about Melchizedek. It says in verse 11, they were slow to learn. It's an interesting phrase, word there. Some versions say they have become dull of hearing. Does anybody have that? You got, that would be the right version of the Bible. You two, uh, no. What version is that, by the way? That ESB, yeah. Become dull of hearing. Literally, you have become sluggish in your ears. And he wasn't talking about earwax, okay? He was talking about the knowledge of their faith. Abraham, Melchizedek. You didn't used to be that way. You have regressed. They forgot important truths of Scripture and they went back to where they started. And again, as I said at the beginning of the message, if you're not progressing as a believer, you're regressing, and that's proof right there. There's no way that they hadn't heard about Melchizedek because he was coupled with Abraham, their patriarch, and they admired Abraham, um, I would say, just below Moses. So he was important. Anyway, they started going back to where they started, back to, to, back to a, a superficial knowledge of the word of God. They were slipping back into spiritual infancy. The idea of slow or dull is the idea, uh, we don't want to hear this, but is the idea of spiritual laziness. We've all, we've all been spiritually lazy when it comes to our time in the word and our time in prayer. Um, but it's talk, that means spiritual laziness or lethargy or sluggishness. They were content where they were at. They were no longer eager to learn more of God's word like they did at one time. Now in the Greek, it's a combination of two words. This is interesting, okay? It's a combination of two words. And is, the words are no push. No push, okay? No motivation, sluggish. They started out strong, but now they've lost motivation. 
And when there's an opportunity to get in God's word, this person sometimes says, you know, let's just see what's on the tube. Well, they didn't have that then, but I'm just saying, let's just do something else, okay? Um, or they might say something like, you know, I've got a lot of things I gotta do today. I just don't have time to get into God's word, if you're a morning person, you know. Or, you know, I'm tired. I'm gonna go to bed early tonight. <sighs> they just don't have time carved out for God's word. And I've, this is my personal experience. I find that if I don't carve, like I'm talking about like carving out time for God, I won't do it. I won't do it. So this is just me and, and you can do it any way you want. But if I have to be like somewhere at nine, I go backwards to what I know I need to do in God's word and I carve that out. You gotta carve it out. Because it won't happen if you don't carve it out. Whatever, whatever you walk out that door to go to work or when you start work at home or whatever you do, you go to that time and then you carve more time backwards to give you a quality time with God and his word. Just, you, you have to do that. You have to do that. Or you're not gonna spend the time that God wants to spend with you in, your, in the word of God and in prayer. And I'm gonna give you a, a picture of how that happens. Now, if, you go, if you're in Hebrews in your Bible, go up to the 10th chapter. Now, this is a great picture here. Because now I'm gonna talk about church attendance and you're here, so you're, I'm not gonna preach to the choir, but look how people stop attending church according to the Bible, at least one way, one main way. 1025, or yeah, 1025. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. There's, there's a day coming when Christ will divide the sky and appear to the entire world and bring judgment to the world. And there's a day coming. I hope it's soon, don't you? I mean, the way our world is going, I, cannot, I can hardly think it's not gonna be soon. But um, that day's coming, so it says, don't be like some people who have gotten into the habit of not fellowshipping with other saints. And, and what happens is people say, you know, I, I, I just don't want to, I, I'm so comfortable in my jammies and, you know, Pastor Mitch goes on and on and on. And uh, I just, you know, and then what happens is, just think with me in metaphorical terms, a crust starts to build. A crust. And that crust, it's just a little film at first. And then it starts getting crustier and crustier. And pretty soon you got a thick crust. I'm getting so many smiles right now because you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I call it breaking the crust. I've used that many times to talk with people. You know, you just have to break that crust again. And that's what's happening to these guys in terms of church attendance and in terms of the word of God. It doesn't happen all at once. It's an acquired condition, almost invisible, okay? Same principle as church attendance. People just 
stop going or go a lot less than they used to. Show up once in a while. Again, I'm preaching to the choir here. You're here, but this is how it goes. And if we go back to the original language, it says they had become unreceptive and closed to spending a lot of time in the scriptures and with, in prayer with God. They were content with the status quo, where they were. They were not as hungry for the word of God as they used to be. By the way, don't think that this all happens in a vacuum. You and I face an adversary that is working hard to cause that to happen in our Christian life, amen? Or, or, even worse, cause us to have a super superficial time with God and his word and prayer so we don't get anything out of it and then he can say, see, what's the use? We go, well, you know, I don't get anything out of it. That's a strategy by the enemy, okay? Anyway, they were not as hungry for the word of God as they used to be and we have to check ourselves to make sure the word of God is a tasty meal for us. And it became a habit. I I, I love this. You're gonna love it too. Um, This is so interesting. Uh, Kent Hughes tells this story, he says, when people truly come to Christ, their initial posture is one of intense listening. You ever see a new, aren't new Christians fun? First of all, they don't know how to talk Christianese. And you love that. And they'll, they'll pepper their language with something worldly. And it's just fun. They're talking. They don't know the rules, you know. They don't know the sacred cows. They're stomping all over sacred cows. They don't know the rules. They haven't sat soaked and soured like some of us, you know. But anyway, he says, when people truly come to Christ, their initial posture is one of intense listening. Though only a boy, I was all ears after I met Christ. I listened as best I could, even took notes. God's word was alive. My experience was not unique. Think, now listen, this is just, things you never know unless you read them. F.R. Weber, in his massive three-volume, A History of Preaching in Britain and America, tells us that one of the curious, listen, one of the curious byproducts of the Great Awakening, if you don't know what the Great Awakening is, in the early 1700s, a revival swept over uh, Western Europe and the eastern seaboard of the United States, and I can only tell you to read about it. it, just things, just people got, well, convicted and saved. If you really get down in the dumps about where our country's going, read about the Great Awakening and you'll say, you know what? That could happen again. Because the country had regressed and England and Wales and Scotland had regressed horribly. It was terrible. You know, the revival was so awesome, I think it was Wales, that the horses that they used to drive and beat to haul coal out of the mines, when all the drivers got saved, the horses didn't know how to do their work anymore because they weren't getting beaten. And so they just sat there. The change was so great, they didn't even know how to work anymore. 
I mean, that was the effect of God on countries. Anyway, so listen to this. F.R. Weber, in his massive three-volume, A History of Preaching in Britain and America, tells us that one of the, (laughs) this is so funny, one of the curious byproducts of the Great Awakening was a sudden interest in shorthand. How many people know what shorthand is? Okay, everyone over 75 just raised their hand. (laughs) Um, I I don't do this to be funny, I'm not gonna make a joke about it, but how many people don't know what shorthand is, honestly? Uh, yeah, okay, very few, very few. In fact, I didn't, okay, shorthand, I had to pull this, I pulled this right off the internet. Shorthand is a system of writing that uses symbols to represent letters, words, or phrases. Writing with shorthand symbols allows you to write at a quicker speed than traditional handwriting. Okay, now, Listen to this. Men and women studied shorthand in order that they might take down sermons that were stirring the English-speaking countries. This happened once before in Scotland and it made its appearance once more in all countries where the influence of the Great Awakening was felt. It was not at all usual to see men with a portable inkwell strapped to them and a quill pen thrust over an ear, hastening to join the throng assembling on the village green. I, I, I didn't find a picture of this. Can you imagine tying an inkwell to your body so it's nearer the pen so you could dip it and write everything the preacher was saying? And I'd like to see that here next week as I bring you the message. Isn't that crazy good? And then it says, but as the newness of it all died down, so did the listening. And just as with the Hebrews centuries ago, and with so many in church today, to such a people, it is hard to explain the deep, needful doctrines of the faith. Ah, it's just amazing. They were stuck on the basics. They didn't go further. And we need to go beyond the basics, okay? In fact, in 12, verse 12, it says, they ought to be teachers by now. Okay, it says here, by this time, you ought to be teachers. Should have already happened. Now, that doesn't mean you have the gift of teaching and and that that you need to get up in front of people and teach or have a PhD in Bible or anything like that. But it means knowing enough about the Bible and in the word of God that you can teach the basics about the Bible, God, man, salvation, and the Christian life to someone else. It's a healthy knowledge about correct doctrine and how to apply it to our lives. And if we don't, the writer considers us as new believers or older believers who need to grow up in our faith. And I mean, we've all had desert times and dry spots in our life, I get it. But this was over the top. They were still learning the, it says here, the elementary truths of God's word all over again. And literally, if you wanted to put it in today's vernacular, the ABCs of biblical and spiritual truth. Basic truths about the Christian faith. Who Jesus is, what he really did. Man, did we ever get an education this morning while we sang? Man, oh man. Do we know that stuff? and where to go in scripture to find it, and how to tell someone else about it. I'm concluding myself in this message, by the way. So you're a seminary graduate, you're a pastor, you ought to know this stuff. You know, don't be so sure. 
Because we can go backwards too, get complacent. He says all over again, they'd passed that way before but had never gone farther. They had fallen back to where they were at the begin, at the, when they were at the beginning of their walk with God. You know, that's not so uncommon in church, in church people. It really isn't. Unfortunately, some have just stopped growing. Why, what are some growth stoppers? Growth stoppers. Well, I think, I think, and I'm talking about my own experience too, busyness. Busyness is, just threatens us and keeps us from go, getting deeper into the word of God. Again, you gotta take that knife and you gotta carve that out. Because I know if you're like me, the moment you get up uh, in the morning, it's not, oh boy, I get to spend time in God's word and prayer. It's, what do I gotta do today? I gotta be careful. Busyness. I think, for me anyway, when I'm angry at someone, bitter or resentful at someone, it's like um, a, 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 what do they call a, a lots of snow, a blizzard. It's like a blizzard in my brain. I can't think. You know, I look at the word of God and it's like there's a whiteout there. And I'm angry and I'm, 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 I'm focused more on the person that I want to hurt. I mean that hurt me and I want to just think about that. Or pride. You know, I can take on the day myself. Or sin or rebellion. Whatever it is. There are growth stoppers that we got to be careful about. Paul describes these people, by the way. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Uh, It's probably on the screen in front of you, but 1 Corinthians chapter three. Paul says, brothers, so you got another regressive church in Corinth. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. Mere infants in Christ. I gave gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for solid food. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, you are, are you not worldly? See, you wanna know if a person, including ourselves, if we're not getting deep into God's word, getting meat out of it, this is a portrait of what this person is like. They're worldly, they're more focused on worldliness, they're Again, this is the Holy Spirit inspiring this. I don't totally get this, but they are jealous people. If you're not in the word of God, you will get jealous. And I love the definition of of jealousy that I've heard and have used before is jealousy is wanting everybody else just as unsuccessful as we are. When we're not in the word, we're deriving our identity, our value, our worth, our significance on how we compare to others rather than God and his love for us. And then uh, the person that's not getting into the word of God is, is we're quarrelsome. I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't work on, I didn't have time, but I didn't work on why this is true Except, I, why, why do we get more quarrelsome when we aren't carving out and spending time in the word of God and in prayer? You, I'll leave that up to you, but that's what we're like. And I've got some other ones later, but, and that's just me and you, all of us. We need to be in the word of God. Okay? So, what, what the word of God says, when we don't um, spend time with God, I, you know, this is gonna sound funny, but I'm gonna say it. 
we're not as nice as we could be. Are you okay with that, me saying that? You know, when I'm in the Word of God in prayer, I'm a really nice guy. I'm a nice husband, nice father, nice pastor. I think, I think lovingly of, of the flock. When I'm not in the Word in prayer, well, let's go on to the next point here. Uh, <laughs> These people are, these people, it says right here in this passage, and, and in one I just read, they're, they're characterized by envy and strife and division and selfishness, whining, worldliness, complaining spirit, self-absorbed, hurting the church. When we're not plunged deep into the waters of the word of God, bad things happen. And if you confront one of these people, leave me alone. Don't bother me. I'm doing fine. They won't admit unless the Holy Spirit just speaks to them. So these people are saved, it looks like, but they're spiritually struggling or stagnant. That might be you today. I don't know. You know, when I preach, I just shoot a scattergun down into a dark hole. And I don't know who's getting hit. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But maybe the Lord is talking to you today and saying, you know, brother, sister, you've, you've been regressing and you need to recommit yourself. And it's not like hours and hours, but to, to, to a, a, a time every day that you can with, in, in my word and prayer. And so that you're glorifying me in the place where you work and, and your family and and, and, and so on. And so there's, it's dangerous. Immaturity because of lacking being in God's word is, is dangerous, okay? Let's go to the second one. We see the problem of spiritual immaturity. Let's look at the proof, the proof. I guess you say, well, it just did prove. Well, let's look at it more specifically. Look at verses 12 and 13. I'm gonna just read all of 12, although we won't use it. In fact, but though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. Um, there's two proofs of spiritual immaturity here in verses 12 and 13. First of all, they need milk, not solid food. Now, let's pull up the floorboards on this just a little bit. This is a biting piece of sarcasm. It really is. They should have, it said, basically, you should have been ready for a nice steak, but you're still spiritually nursing. You know, have you ever... I'm gonna get into some images here. I probably shouldn't, but I'm gonna do it anyway. You ever see a kid that's too old to nurse, but's nursing? I've seen pictures like that. And, and little Lord Fauntleroy is still nursing at age five. You know, you're just going, what is mom thinking? That kid ought to be on solid food. That's the idea here, Okay. By now they should be on solid food. 
But the picture goes even further. Next we observe, wrote one uh, commentary, that the author resorts to some biting, caustic sarcasm in an effort to stir his readers to spiritual growth. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the work of righteousness since he is a child. He assaults his friends, the writer of the Hebrews does, with a grotesque image. The image is adult infants who are still nursing. Think of the tragic absurdity of full-grown men and women in diapers who are either neither capable of nor desire solid food and who sit around sucking their thumbs. Such full-grown infants amount to a huge disgrace and a drain on the church because it inspires those habits that we talked about earlier, right? That's a drain on a, a fellowship. And I don't like to think of it that way because I could be a drain on this church by not getting into God's word and into a decent prayer time because I will manifest selfish behavior if I don't. Obviously, the writer's grotesque images are meant to shock and motivate some of his hearers. And this is why I think that he is so, you know, he's, he's not just sticking a knife in, he's turning it. This is really an insult, but it's a healthy insult. And it speaks to me, personally. But he, he, he uses a strong language because he knew, again, if you've been in, around for the study on Hebrews, you know, listen, that they are heading into some really tough stuff, right? Remember? Society is becoming more and more hostile to Christians. And they're heading into the, 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 the Roman Emperor Nero's rule. Wasn't pretty when it came to Christians. And what he knows is, is that if, if, if they remained spiritual babies in the word and in prayer, they would be overwhelmed by the storm ahead that's coming. And I'm sorry, but not again to be a prophet of doom or make any forecasts or predictions. I don't like to you know, create uneasiness in people unnecessarily. But do you not see storm clouds gathering in the distance for our Western world? And, 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 and just as, a, as, as a, an incentive not to be caught with diapers on, let's get into the word and into prayer. So if and when we're challenged, we have a reserve to draw upon, amen? You say, well, you know, I went to Bible school. Yeah, big deal. I went to seminary, big deal. Well, uh, I know all the books of the Bible in order. Aren't I smart? Do you know the books of the Bible <laughs> in your heart? You can't rest on your laurels. I can't, you can't. And by the way, we are so naive when we think because we've read something once that we know all about it. How many times I have gone over the same material in the Bible and the Holy Spirit goes, boom! And I think, I never saw that before. Am I alone? You guys with me on that? Yeah, I mean, the word of God is like one of those big disco balls. Remember those disco balls when they had these little shiny things? Maybe I should use a better illustration, but uh, I remember going to a roller skating rink with one of these disco balls, and I was just looking at the disco ball, you know. 
and just every time it turned, there was a new reflection, right? And they had hundreds and hundreds of these little, shiny little pieces that were glued to this disco ball, and as it turned, each one glittered and shone, and it was brilliant. That's the word of God. Every time you open this thing up, it's a new day of understanding. It doesn't give the same thing every time. There's always something new to discover. Is that you today? Is it me? Or have we just kind of lost time with God? I've had those times in my life. I'm not gonna lie. Man, I remember two years after I became a Christian, I was the most passionate new believer you could find. And after two years, something happened, and I, I started just to get complacent. And I'm not, I don't know if I would say bored, but just complacent. And I wasn't doing what I was doing at the beginning. And a guy came to the church I was um, attending back in my hometown, and the Holy Spirit used that man. He preached on backsliding and apostasy. And it was like a freight train mowed me over. And the Holy Spirit says, you're regressing. And I, I was so convicted out of my mind. And I've never turned back since, by the grace of God. So there's a danger there. I'm just trying to tell you that I've gone through this too. Okay, but so what's the proof that we're spiritually immature? That we need milk, not solid food. And we're not getting into the meat of the word and having the meat of the word get into us. Okay, secondly, they were not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. How interesting. Look at verse 13. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. That is fascinating. Why? Well, scholars think that could be one of two things or probably both. It meant righteous living Understanding from the scriptures what is necessary to produce righteousness in those who believe in and who are seeking to obey Jesus as Lord, learning and living what is pleasing to the Lord. Knowing how to live righteously. Have you ever had a person that says they're a Christian and they've come to you and says, you know, and then they say something that you go in your mind. No Christian ought to be doing that. But they say it as if it's no big deal. And I try not to be holier than thou and all that. I don't want to act like I'm the Holy Spirit. But once in a while, especially if I know them and I care about them, I just say, you know, I'm a little uncomfortable with that. And it's not really, but they don't know because they aren't in the word. And they're regressing. And not only does it mean righteous living, but... It means, and this is a little heavier, the teaching about the imputed righteousness of Christ. And I love that. I mean, we got it this morning up on the screen and while we were singing. Did you know that? The imputed, what do you say, what the imputed righteousness, what is that? That's the, the moment we're saved, we become righteous. We are seen as perfect, and we always will be, regardless of how bad we muffed it this week. Anybody muff it besides me? I didn't say Muppets, I said Muffed It. <laughs> no hands went up when I asked for hands. But I'll raise my hand, I Muffed It big time this week. And I will today, and I will tomorrow. 
And I will in some way, but it doesn't matter because in Christ, before God, I am righteous. The moment we're saved, God imputes Christ's righteousness on us and in us and through us and around us. And so God will never see us not identified with Christ ever again. Thank goodness. I'll tell you, that's the one thing that the devil does not want a Christian to know. He wants us to, I get Dylan up here to sing that hymn for us again about Christ's righteousness being ours. But I don't want to share my time with him because I got to preach here, so. <laughs> Second Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And if we don't get into the word of God and boy, I tell you, you want to know about the imputed righteousness of Christ. Stay with me while we go through Hebrews. And by chapters 8, 9, and 10, baby, you'll know it. I'm righteous. You don't get into the word, you don't know that. So you get, here's what happens. I'm, I was going to make this a shorter sermon today, and I'm failing. But here's what happens. When we know the righteousness of Christ is honest, our sense of self doesn't get pulled into every issue and we're a lot nicer people. You want to improve your marriage? Understand that you're righteous in Christ because your sense of self doesn't get pulled into the issue. You're okay because you're in Christ. You want to raise your kids? None of us are perfect at that. I'm chief sinner, as Paul said. But we're better at it when we know our righteousness in Christ because our nerves and the buttons that are on top of them don't get pushed as easy. And believe me, kids will find your buttons. You want to be a better employee? See, this is what I love about the Bible. I love about what we're studying coming up. I love about the righteousness of Christ. It solves the most basic dilemmas of the human condition. The, 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 the relationships. Because when we know we are viewed as faultless in the eyes of God, our sense of self and our worth don't get pulled into the thing, so we're free. Can I get an amen? amen. And, the, and the, the better, the more a church understands it, the more wonderful that church is. All right. Gotta move on. But that's what you get when you're in the word of God. Okay, that's what you get when you're in the word of God. That's what you don't get when you're not in the word of God. Because the whole Bible eventually focuses on Christ and what he did on the cross. Okay, number three. Let's look, we've seen the problem and the proof of spiritual imagery. What's the prescription? How do we cure it? Okay, let's look at verse 14. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves. Stop right there. What's the ingredient for spiritual uh, immaturity to, to solve that, the prescription for it? Solid food, which is the word of God. Have I mentioned that yet this morning? Okay. I won't go into that deeply, but I, this is what it is. And then, what's the method? That's the ingredient. What's the method? Constant use. Through constant use. That could mean deliberate effort. Repetition is the idea. 
What does Russell Wilson do about 50 billion times before he plays on Sunday? He gets reps. This is a very athletic word. Reps are the key to everything. And that's the word here. Constant use, repetitions in, in being in the word of God. Okay. And then the train themselves is basically the same thing. It means, it's a, it, the definition of train, this is an athletic term. Paul uses it in other places. It means discipline. I was reading about Jim Ryan. Anybody remember that name? Old people do. He, did he break the four-minute mile? Was he the first one? Huh? Roger Bannister did that, and then he broke it too. And I was reading about his workout regimen. I mean, he'd get up, he'd run five miles. After lunch, he'd ride like five miles, 10 miles. And then during pre- track practice, he ran, uh, among other things, 75 440-yard dashes. And then he did like five or 10 miles to close the day out. That's why, he, that's why he was a famous runner, one of the most famous of all time. Because he just disciplined himself, took reps, didn't dabble at the word of God. And then just see something here at, the, at verse 14. <sighs> themselves. Do you see the word themselves there? Right? You see that behind me? No? Is it not there? You do see it. Guess what? Guess who's responsible for getting in the word? Ourselves. Okay? This is, this is helpful. Sunday messages, fine. Sunday school lessons, fine. TV messages, if they're good, fine. CDs, fine. Christian books, fine. But they're never a substitute for personal quality Bible study where we read and hear from God and we internalize it and, and, we, and we apply our, it to our lives every day. It's not enough to have the truth. The truth must have us daily. Am I being too strict here? I hope not. I don't mean to be. I didn't come in here to beat the sheep, but to feed the sheep. And I'm, I'm, I'm chief sinner in some of this, so just remember that. You know, I just wrote this down. I thought it was kind of witty, so you might want to applaud after I read this, but... Uh, don't, I'm just kidding. But I just wrote this down. Our time with God in his word and prayer should not be a rabbit's foot, but a rest in him. We're resting in him. We're not just rubbing a rabbit's foot and getting out the door. And then I said, or wrote, it's not a drive through window, but a sit-down meal. So how am I gonna do that? Carve it. Some, whether you're, a, maybe you're a night owl or a morning person, but carve it. It's tough, it's hard, it's, it's, it, it's not easy. Some of you are busy people. I get that. Well, let's finish off here with the last one here. And that's what happens when you do, when you and I do do this. When we buck the system here and we're not spiritual infants, something really powerful happens. And it's right there in verse 14. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to what? Distinguish good and evil. We become discerners of truth and falseness. And I would dare say that one of the most, if not the most, the best, biggest blessing on a church is to have lots of people who have spiritual discernment. 
And we need it today, don't we? So much false teaching. Prosperity gospel and this teaching and that. It's, it's nauseating to me. I'll tell you one thing that just bugs the daylights out of me. I'll look at the, and I don't do this much anymore because it just gets me angry. But I look and, and know that this guy is a false teacher. And I see the seats are packed with people. Just drinking it up. And I think, what low level of discernment these people have. They're getting fleeced. They're living vicariously through a, 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 a personality that exudes confidence and knows how to make people laugh. And, and he's false. And I look at him and I just want to, you know, just, I get nauseous over it. The power of a spiritually maturing believer. Let's look at it real quick and then we'll, we'll take off. They're able to, sti- to distinguish between good and evil. Babies can't distinguish between good and evil. Did you know that? You could put a baby in the middle of a lion's den. He just could. Babies can't discern. There needs to be growth for discernment. And the more growth, the more discernment. It's an extremely, extremely valuable possession to have to be able to distinguish between good and evil. And I, and I say this again, it's needed today more than ever before. And, and a lot of believers don't have this. And I'm not talking about the gift of discernment. I'm just the ability to tell a fake from uh, a genuine, the genuine article. These people were undiscerning when it came to false doctrine. And we need spiritual discernment again today. And that's what the Bible does. It's like the old illustration of the person that works in the bank and they see regular dollar bills by the millions every, well, thousands every day, millions every year. And when they, there's a fake one in there, boom, they, they see it. I've had people that work at banks tell me that's how they do it. And when you get into this over and over and over and over and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, the more spiritually discerning you are and the more you have the most valuable possession that could be given to a church in in its people. Well, I hope what's happened this morning um, is not a a, a feeling that you're being whipped or, or, or again, beaten, but that that if you are, have kind of regressed and, the word of God and, and, a, and a quality prayer time has, has, has kind of just gotten pushed to the side, to the margins. That it would just encourage you to once again uh, redouble your efforts to eat solid food from the word of God and in times of prayer. You know, you no doubt you've been in a situation where an adult was acting like a child have you ever been in a situation where you see a grown adult act like a child? I see many wives going like that to their husband. No, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. But there, you see them, it's, maybe it's in traffic or at, at a ball game or at the grocery store or maybe even in church somewhere, but they're throwing a ten- temper tantrum. They're acting selfish or immature. And what do you think? Hey, man, dude, act your age, will you? Grow up. That's what the author's doing here with these Hebrew Christians. Now, growth rates vary, but growing is the important thing here. We all need to be growing spiritually because there's no neutral gear. We'll go backwards, okay? But we'll grow as long as we study 
looking for God in his word, reading it, listening to it until God speaks to us on a daily basis as much as we can, applying it to our life's circumstances, and we will be those discerners, not those tantrum throwers, okay? Only a spiritually mature person who understands what having Christ's righteousness means and who are living out a righteous life according to scripture will be able to make discerning, mature judgments. And I say this as my last sentence here. On the continual moral issues that we are facing in this life and that will face us in the future. You got me? All right. Psalm 119, 105. Thy word, I'm doing King Jimmy here because that's what I memorized it in. Thy word is like a lamp for my feet and what? A light for my way. Now you can't understand the word unless you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. 1 Corinthians chapter two, verse four says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and pers- Oh, I have 1 Corinthians, let me get to 2 Corinthians. No, it's 1 Corinthians 2.14. I was reading verse four. 2 Corinthians 2.14. The man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God for they are foolishness to him and he cannot understand them because they're spiritually discerned. If you've never invited Christ into your life, you've never really repented of your sin and asked Christ to forgive you on the basis of his shed blood on the cross and received him in by faith, you'll never be able to understand the word of God. You can open it a billion times and it just is kind of like alphabet soup. It's just not real and it's confusing. I would encourage you to receive Christ if you haven't so that you can go to the most valuable book ever given mankind. And Father God, thank you for this reminder that we need to be in your word, to carve out the time, to not marginalize it, but get into the habit again. If we strayed, get into the habit again Uh, of finding you in your word and experience the exciting adventure of new spiritual truth on a daily basis, which you want to give us. Thank you for the study of your word. Thank you for taking us out of maturity every day. Thank you for making us uh, grown-ups. Thank you for making us discerners. And we love you. And we redouble our efforts to carve that time out uh, that we lost along the way. Thank you for loving us to tell us the hard truths. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Well, God bless you. Have a wonderful rest of this Memorial Day weekend. Enjoy that beautiful weather.